It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you're dead. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. It is presented by New York Lottery. Thanks so much for tuning in. Multiple ways for you to interact with us here on the program, 973-667-1960. That is the telephone number. That would be option number one. Option number two, hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. You can also follow and interact with the two of us. I'm at Lance Meadow, one word, last name, M-E-D-O-W. He is at Giants W-F-A-N. Lance Meadow, Paul Dettino with you for the next 60 minutes. And as a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network brought to you by Investors Bank on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. So we'll go around the NFL, some news and notes that are pertinent to the entire league, which clearly impacts the New York Giants, especially based on the structure of the offseason. We'll delve into that and we'll get into any other items you want to bring to the forefront at 973-667-1960. Paul, how's everything on your end? Good morning, Lance. Uh, doing pretty well, although I have to tell you, when I got up and I saw there was snow outside, I was a little bit surprised. You know, we've basically been going 40 degrees all week. And I'm like, where'd that come from? But it's already started to melt, so that's okay. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't recall seeing snow in New York City this morning, so that's actually news to me. You didn't, wait, you didn't see it. I did not see any snow on the ground. Have you been outside? I have not been outside yet today, but I've looked outside a few times, and I have yet to see any snow. So I don't know what you got in Jersey, but I can tell you there was no presence here in NYC. Yeah, Paul, I don't don't want to break any news for you, but sometimes the weather in Jersey is different than the weather in New (laughs) York City. Yes, exactly. It does happen. Yes, it does happen. I understand that. But anyway, it was uh, was kind of wild to see it. Of course, then the other huge item was uh, was Phillip Rivers retiring, but we'll talk about that later. Absolutely. We will get into Philip Rivers because Rivers and Eli Manning are always going to be connected even into retirement because they were part of that 2004 sure. draft day trade. But I want to start with something that's a little bit more relevant from the Giants perspective. And interestingly, last night, Tom Pelissero of NFL Network tweeted out the following. He said, NFL PA Executive Director Demora Smith told agents on a call tonight, referring to last night, there's no rosy outlook on widespread vaccinations of players by August and OTA's mini camps likely will be virtual again. And a direct quote from Demora Smith, we're planning for an offseason that looks a lot like the 2020 offseason, end quote. This is not a stunning development. We actually, yesterday's program talked about how the scouting combine is changing and how in all likelihood 2020 was going to resemble 2021 and vice versa. The good news is, Paul, most of the teams, this is now lap two, essentially. They've been through this already. It's going to be not even that much of an adjustment period for coaches that are taking over new teams because they went through it in all likelihood as assistants with other squads. So the positive is this is not uncharted territory anymore. The negative, of course, is we're looking at a second straight offseason in all likelihood where there's not going to be any on-the-field work. Yeah, it certainly looks like that, Lance. And to be honest with you, as the calendar year turned to 2021 and we were all hoping with as much optimism as possible that things would go back to somewhat normal, uh, I just became much more skeptical. And and this phone call now uh, just gives me more reason to be skeptical. Uh, Look, the NFL did yeoman's work. Everybody involved, whether it was the commissioner, the teams, the medical staffs, 
the coaching staffs, even even all of the, the, the functional people who are in each organization. And it goes all the way down to the production departments. The work that was put into making this season whole, I mean, yeah, there were a few bumps along the way, but we all knew that was going to happen. I don't know how many people out there really believed that the NFL would get its full 17-week schedule in and then be able to go through its postseason. I know we're not all done with the postseason yet, but we're pretty much through it. I, I think to many people, it's a miracle that the NFL was able to pull this thing off as well as they did. Having said that, and understanding the safety concerns involved because of this pandemic, I mean, I just became more and more skeptical. Like, they pulled it off once. Why not err on the side of caution and safety and pull it off a second year in a row? And that's why I have kind of been mentally preparing myself for a repeat of 2020 in 2021. And so that's where I stand on it. I would love one morning to wake up and find out that things will return more to normalcy as far as the NFL is concerned. I just don't have a lot of confidence right now that we'll see that this year. Well, there's a lot of unknown. Is it possible that adjustments are made in the coming months, meaning they start out virtual and then they realize because of the vaccination distribution and the testing and whatsoever that maybe they open things up? It's possible. But I got to give the NFL credit, Paul, from the standpoint of they're getting ahead of things now. And they're anticipating you can't expect April and May to be ideal circumstances. So let's at least understand we want to have a functioning offseason where there is player movement. The draft, once again, could be virtual. I mean, we just have to anticipate. And I think that the fact that the players, the union, league officials, that they're all talking about this now is a big reason why, to your point, this entire season went off without much interruption. The NFL was the model, okay? If you want to do a comparison test, and we're not necessarily in the habit of doing that, but if you do want to just go around professional sports, and Paul, I'll even throw in college sports. If there is one league that deserves to be commended to have navigated the obstacles to as close to perfection as possible, it's the NFL. And there's nobody, in my opinion, that came anywhere close. They didn't cancel one game. They prepared rosters accordingly, Paul, in terms of the expansion of the practice squad to make sure that they can account for players who tested positive. And every check mark that you were looking for, I would say the NFL tackled. And that's a big reason why, even if the offseason is the duplication of 2020, I'm anticipating that as we make our way into games in 2021, the players have adapted already, the coaches have adapted already, that the product is not going to suffer as we start to look ahead to next fall. Well, I do think that there's a certain amount of, of advantages and things to be gained by having your real offseason program. So I don't think it'll suffer much more than what we saw this year. But to say that there would not be a drop-off from what we've you know, had in the past, for example, in, in 2019, I, 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 I can't agree with you there, Lance. I think when we get back to normalcy, full calendar year normalcy, the NFL will be better for it. Uh, but in terms of just year to one, year one pandemic to year two pandemic, I do think that will be more of a flat line. So in that part of your statement, I would concur. Here's the other thing, though, that you have to at least take into consideration, Paul. It's possible. I know you're not going to be happy about this because I could tell already based on your response. The union and the league has already 
plan to have initial discussions. They're probably going to table that because the offseason, if it's going to repeat 2020, there's no point in having these conversations. But whenever normalcy returns or the ability to get back to normalcy, it's possible that some of the practices that are going on over the last two offseasons could be adopted permanently, Paul. You have to prepare for that. I, what I'm saying is I'm not guaranteeing you that the spring is going to look pre-pandemic for the years moving forward. It's possible the union and the league come to the realization, hey, you know what? We could get away with having some Zoom meetings as part of our off-season program where we don't have to have everybody come to the facility. Keep in mind, you know what we debate every off-season? How we debate about the fact that, well, they're voluntary. Spring workouts are voluntary, with the exception of the mandatory minicamp. Yet every time mm-hmm. we have conversations, Paul, about well, this player is bad and he's not being a good teammate because he's staying out on the West Coast to work out with his trainer and he's not coming over to be with his teammates, right? We have those conversations all the time. And then my argument is we get to week four of the regular season. Nobody remembers who attended OTAs and who didn't because more often than not, it really has no impact. We're of the now. Now we're caught up in these passionate conversations. It's easy to go crazy over a player not coming to OTAs. So my point is... If coaches realize that you can keep players engaged when they're not present at the facility, maybe this is something that could very well be adopted as part of the off-season program moving forward. I'm not saying it's going to happen, Paul, but I think it's something that you at least need to take into consideration. Well, let's put it this way, Lance. And again, I, I mentioned this, I think it was on one of the shows last week. I don't have the official updated injury numbers, but I know with about a month to go in the season, the injury numbers were significantly up across the board, not just for regular run-of-the-mill injuries, but also for serious injuries. I have to believe that's not a coincidence. I have to believe that the you know, um, dissolving of the off-season programs because of the pandemic were a big factor in those numbers going up. You may think otherwise. You're entitled to it. Uh, because I don't have any proof or evidence that says they are attached, but I suspect that they are. And if the coaches and the GMs and the Players Association and the owners all can see a correlation between those things, then there will be some type of restoration of the offseason programs. Now, how much? I don't know. Maybe you're right. Maybe they'll mutate them, and they won't necessarily be, quote, normal ever again. And there'll be a new normal. But I don't think you're ever going to see a regular calendar year where the offseason programs are strictly Zoomed. I can't see that ever happening because the, the injury factor that has, that has occurred is something that, that's not very tasty for either the players or the teams. And I don't think they want to see those kinds of numbers continue to move in the wrong direction. Well, I'm sure also from the coach's standpoint, and I'd be curious if they took a poll from every head coach in the NFL, and I was actually discussing this on NFL Radio last night with Charles Davis because I think it's interesting and fascinating about if coaches, if you polled them and you were to ask them, when you look at the course of building up to the season, do you feel like you build the best chemistry and implementation of your offenses and defense during training camp? Or is it more in terms of what you started in the spring? I just would be curious to hear whether or not they feel more of the heavy lifting is done in training camp 
if they eliminated the spring or whether they feel, no, the blueprint of the spring is actually what leads to better productivity during camp. I would think that that would be an interesting conversation. The problem is, more often than not, when it comes to these union negotiations, the coaches are not really involved in that dialogue. So I don't really think whether the coaches think it's a pro or a con, Paul, that that's going to be heard loudly enough. But I do think it would be interesting to hear through the coach's perspective whether or not they feel if, hypothetically, if they limited the spring or made it half Zoom, half in person, whether or not that would negatively impact what they needed to accomplish in training camp moving forward into the season. Ultimately, you're right. We can't speak for any of those people because we're not inside their heads. And furthermore, we're not having daily conversations with them anymore because of the pandemic. So we can't even give people any hints or any assumptions as to which way they might be leaning. So I guess it is truly a hypothetical with a capital H. Neither one of us is going to be right or neither one of us is going to be wrong. And it could pretty much go any which way but loose. That's just the way it is. Um, I, I do think that long term, it, it's certainly something that, you know, is good enough to keep an eye on. It's, it's, it's worthy enough. It's a point that that does need to be discussed at some point at some time down the road right now. Uh, you know, obviously, there are a couple of playoff games to go, a Super Bowl to go. There's a, a combine that's obviously been blown up. There's a draft that apparently is still going to happen virtually, you know, of course, like it was last year. And it went off very smoothly, by it the did. way, through the virtual it did. means. Again, another case of where the league did a great job. Yeah. I, oh, look, I can't say enough about Roger Goodell's insistence on making sure that everybody within the NFL was going to be able to make this stuff happen. I, I can't say enough about his insistence, his dedication, and the hard work that everybody else put into place to allow this season to come off as it did. I, I, I just I'm amazed and thrilled that they were able to pull it off. It's just, you know, it's it's like pizza without the cheese though. It's it's food, but it's <laughs> not really the full deal. It's not dolled up enough to your liking. No, I yes. I need the cheese. I need the oregano. You know, Big I mean, I, I and I want my oregano and cheese back. Okay, but okay, the pizza dough is still pizza dough, and when you're hungry, it's good. <laughs> if you need nourishment, right, you got nothing to complain about. There You'll you take go. It. So you some go. football, as I say, is better than no football. No That's question. That's at least my philosophy. No question about it. Give me something on the plate that I can nibble at, okay? I don't no know question. why I'm continuing this food analogy, but somehow you well, throw me into the mix. Well, because it works. That's why. To make it, it works. Work. Yes. We, we can <laughs> well, all agree that we need food, right? Yes. I don't think anybody will debate that <laughs> unless you've experimented in other ways. <laughs> no, no. Well, I don't want to get to that. At this program, <laughs> Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by the New York Lottery, the new X series of scratch-offs from the New York Lottery. Multiply your winnings up to 100 times. Please play responsibly. And limited giant season tickets are on sale now for the 2021 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seat starting at just $100. Call 888 888- NYG1925, that's 888-NYG1925, or you can visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. Before we get to the phone lines, and we will be taking your phone calls at 973-667-1960, as far as, Paul, how this impacts the Giants, I think that's at least important to note. The good news for the Giants is, okay, 
They've already implemented both of their schemes. As it appears right now, it looks as if the coordinators are going to return. Patrick Graham at least made that clear. He signed a new deal with the Giants. He took his name out of consideration. And there are still two openings left, but at least based on reports, it doesn't seem as if Jason Garrett has been tied to those openings. With that being said, as it stands right now, I think it's safe to say that it looks like the coordinators will still be in place for next season. So Mm -hmm. as far as continuity is concerned, Paul, if they have to go through another virtual offseason, the good news is these coaches have said to themselves, hey, we've already implemented the nuts and bolts. We're bringing back, hopefully, a number of key players on both sides who have a feel. So it at least gives them some structure to work with that they didn't have at this time last year. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt that continuity would benefit, especially uh, Daniel Jones. Uh, We've talked about the defensive side of the ball. And should Patrick Graham had left, and obviously we know now that will not be the case, the Giants had some people on that defensive staff who I think, you know, uh, uh, no, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm reversing myself here. It was the other way. Had had, J- had Jason Garrett left, there were potential offensive coordinators like Dooley, uh, you know, like like uh, uh, Kitchens, Kitchens, who could have probably seamlessly moved into that spot and allowed Daniel Jones some sense of familiarity. And I think that on the defensive side of the ball, which is what I originally meant to say when I got caught up here. Uh, as I was preparing my lemonade, I want to have a little something to drink while I speak with wow, you, Lance. Look at you, multitasking, yes. I'm telling you uh, that Patrick Graham, to me, would have been more difficult to replace because I just don't see anybody on the defensive side of the ball with enough of experience and enough wherewithal and history within the system that, it, you know, it would, have been a, it would have been a headache. That would have been a bigger I adjustment. See it. Yeah. yeah, that's how I see it. That doesn't mean that any of those guys aren't qualified and couldn't potentially have done the job. I just think the adjustment would have been so much more difficult and bigger on the defensive side of the ball. So, yes, I think the Giants are better off with continuity. 973-667-1960. Hashtag Giants chat. You can also directly interact with the two of us on Twitter. At Lance Meadow, one word, last name, M-E-D-O-W. He is at Giants W-F-A-N. Let's open up the phone lines as we make our way to the top of the hour here on Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. And we check in with Christian in Virginia. What's happening, Christian? Hi, you guys. Um, I think it's undoubted that uh, Patrick Graham is the more important guy to come back, not just because what you're saying, I agree that there's no one in-house as far as the implement what he did last year. He did such a good job. But also, you even heard Joe Judge you know, say that he's the assistant head coach, and that's not just in title only. And I truly believe that it's those two. I want to go back to the coordinators, though. Um, I listened to the pod the other day. You guys did the awesome piece on Daniel Jones and breaking down, you know, the specifics of not just looking at the raw numbers. And I really appreciated that because, you know, I, I came away with the same conclusions of regardless of the raw numbers, I do feel that he was a better quarterback this year if you turn the film on and you right. look at how he, you know, as he processes the defenses. I do, at the end of the day, I do still say that, you know, we were the 31st-ranked offense. And by and large, I don't know if you guys agree with this, I do think that the offensive line was better this year. And as far as the weapons upgrade, if you look at the 24 touchdowns, I know that's a raw stat, but if you look at the big plays we were able to produce 
with by and large the same weapons, how much of a concern do you put at bringing Jason Garrett back, despite the continuity? Because I do think that if you looked at uh, there was a study done of routes with two or more receivers that ran 15 yards down the field, not not targeted, but just just play calls with two receivers or more that got 15 yards down the field. Um, the Giants were, I think, 30th in the league with those kinds of routes. But when we did have those those kinds of play calls, Daniel Jones was the best quarterback in the NFL at like 67 mm-hmm. some percent. His touchdown to ratio, touchdown to interception ratio was awesome. His sack percentage was down. Now, obviously, if you're 30th in the league, the sample size is small. But I do feel like uh, Jason Garrett almost was too conservative in eliminating the turnovers because that's the talking point with Daniel Jones, eliminating the turnovers. But I also think that that conservatism led to more mistakes. And I'm interested to what your thoughts on that are going forward. And do you think that Joe Judge, as he's done before, will kind of put his paws on that part of the offense? We're despite the weapons. We need weapon upgrades. I agree with that. But the guy threw 24 touchdowns with the same weapons. Yeah, well, but, but Saquon Barkley was on the field for the majority of that, though. Yeah, and and, and was, that's... but was that the same Saquon Barkley? Was that? I mean, I get it, and and I I I get that that's a big part of it. I feel like we ran the ball pretty well. I know he, he's a weapon in the passing game, but was that the one hundred percent Saquon Barkley? Doesn't matter. Ninety percent or even eighty percent of Saquon Barkley. I, with all due respect to Wayne Goldman, he's just not. I mean, there's no one in the Giants' running back core this past season who is even close to right. being the receiving I mean, they're, they're threat that Barkley that. is. Not just the running threat, but the receiving they're, they're threat. That. Right? And no let's not kid that, ourselves. Well, the other thing is, too, you had two other guys at, at the skill positions who dropped off significantly. Golden Tate just absolutely fell off a cliff in terms of his production. And we talked about this the other day, too. His snap count went down because, quite frankly, he wasn't doing enough with his snaps. And he's not the same player that he was. He got old, if you will, really fast. At least that's the assumption. And so there was a significant hit there. And then, obviously, Evan Ingram was not nearly as productive, especially in the red zone, as he was the year before. Yeah. And so I, I agree with that, but I think you can come to the conclusion. Well, I agree, but you could also come to the conclusion that the difference in the drop off was the guy designing the offense and what he was asking him to do. And I thought wow. what we asked Ingram to do, I, I think that if you look at what we asked Ingram to do, particularly early in the year, with a lot of the stick routes and the option routes that Jason Witten was so good at, I feel like we kind of asked him to do. You know, where he whips his head around. You guys have talked about his vision, where he whips his head around and the ball is arriving. I don't know if that's his strength. And a lot of the interceptions and turnovers were, you know, plays like that. And I'm not pointing all the finger at at Jason Garrett. I do ultimately say if they choose for continuity, if they choose to bring him back, and you upgrade the weapons, yes, we should be better. Yeah. But it doesn't it feel a little bit like of an excuse to say, oh, you just add Barkley back, and they go from 31st to 10th? I mean, it's an offensive league. If you look at the four teams that are still in, you know, in the hunt, there's one, two, and three in offense. And, right. and then you have the Chiefs, they're, they're right. the ones that aren't. So you know, regardless of how we get there, we need better weapons. The offense needs to be better. And I understand not wanting to learn a new offense, but – it's 
if something is not as broken, just to run it back because it's the same one, it makes less sense to me than upgrading it and asking them to learn a new offense. I well, get let, the let me ask you this. Argument. I do get it. Yeah, yeah. Let, let, let me ask you this then. Um, in addition to those skill position guys not performing up to the level that they needed to, and you'll say that part of that is also maybe on the play selection, and okay, I think that's a fair right. comment to make. But then I think the other part to this equation that you're leaving out is that teams were also able to play the Giants differently. Philosophically, they go into a game saying, okay, they don't have the premier home run hitter that's supposed to be there in yeah. Barkley, so now Absolutely. they're changing their Absolutely. entire defensive schematic. And that yeah, makes a difference, too. That, uh, you... Right, yeah, but also then, don't you, with Patrick Graham, I think you guys would agree that he did a very good job adapting to the personnel. No question. The, the problem is the Giants work. didn't have right. enough of, of firepower at the skill positions after Barkley was eliminated from the equation, and now the defense says, okay, we're going to play you differently, okay? And we know that Slayton's got a bum foot, and we know that Ingram, you know, Ingram is obviously inconsistent. And it was obvious early that Tate was not the same player. I guess what I'm saying to you is there's another part to that equation that now the defense is going to adjust – and the Giants did not have enough depth at the skill positions to then make their adjustment to the no defense's doubt. adjustment. No doubt. No doubt. No doubt. You know what we I did mean? not put a lot of uh, – we, no, I get it. We didn't invest a lot of resources into the weaponry of the offense. No, we they had to invest more resources in defense this past offseason. Right. Well, and also, it's impossible to have Saquon Barkley version B on the roster. I mean, he's such a sure. unique player. No, you know, whereas you talked Absolutely. about Patrick Graham did a good job making no tweaks. Yeah, it's one thing when you lose your second corner and you got to bring in a guy off the practice squad to replace him. It's another thing losing Saquon Barkley and all of a sudden expecting to replace him with one individual. And I would agree with Paul. I think if you're a defense, regardless of whether or not Wayne Goldman is performing admirably, and he did have a good season— they're still looking at Wayne Goldman much different than they are looking at Saquon Barkley. And then you have to account for, well, how much did that open things up for Darius Slayton last season? How much did that open things up for Evan Ingram? Slayton's touchdowns dipped immensely. Yes, he was dealing with the foot injury, but all of those dynamics don't necessarily show up from a statistical standpoint, Christian. And that's why it's too simple to just look at the numbers and judge the difference in, op- in, in offensive production based on that alone. There's a lot of the nuances to me that come into play. And we appreciate the phone call. Thanks so much for weighing in here on Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. I also looked up the numbers, and in 2019, the Giants averaged just over 21 points. So it went to 17.5 this past season. Now, four points isn't a noticeable difference. I'm not trying to downgrade that, Paul. But, you know, it's also not as if the Giants were lighting up the scoreboard in 2019. And they all of a sudden had a difference of a touchdown between 2019 and 2020. The offense, even if you look back at 2019, they wanted more production a year ago as much as they wanted it this season Mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. I I think ultimately what it comes down to is that there were so many other factors, and we've already gone through them in the last five minutes, to say that, you know what, If, if the factors were back to normal, if you will, and I'm using normal in quotes, but if you get what you expect out of the rest of the skill position guys that you have on the team and you believe that the offensive line is, in fact, getting better, and I'm with the caller, I do think the offensive line got better. Again, one of the reasons the Giants gave up as many sacks as they did is because Daniel Jones started to understand better and mature 
and figure out it's okay to take a sack. Remember, he took a bunch. He took over double-digit sacks this year on his own because he understood that sacks are not necessarily a bad thing. So let's be very careful when we start talking about the offensive line. I do think they were better, and they certainly seem to be a better run-blocking offensive line than they were the year before. And so when you say that there's an expected and rational improvement in these other factors and circumstances, you put that in line with the continuity of keeping Jason Garrett, and you say, you know, it makes sense to see how it works in year number two. I I don't think there's anything there that you can separate from Jason Garrett and say, oh, he did such a terrible job that he doesn't deserve to come back. I, I would say this. Lance, is there another available offensive coordinator out there who could have been in Jason Garrett's shoes this past season and done a better job? I don't know that I could find that list. Well, I think under the circumstances, which is what you're laying out, when you evaluate the personnel he lost, he also, remember, was without Daniel Jones for a few games. And remember, Jason Garrett was the offensive coordinator when they beat the Seattle Seahawks, if you recall, okay? Correct. So if you're going to criticize him, then at least you need to notate that they went into Seattle and developed a very good strategic game plan to beat a very talented NFC team and walked away with a W. Well, who was behind that game plan? And that game plan, which was successful, was designed to win the game. It wasn't designed to light up the scoreboard like a pinball machine. Well, and I think, and I'm glad you brought that up because I would argue, I know the caller had used the word conservative, that maybe Garrett was too conservative. I think when you take into consideration the injuries and the personnel that he lost, I think it maybe conservative is not a fair word, but I think part of the philosophy, Paul, was what do we need to do to win the game? Not what do we need to do to light up the scoreboard and improve our points per game by five points in the span of one week. And I think that's what his thought process was. Give me a strategy with the personnel that I have that we could go out, remain competitive, and try to walk away with a W. I think that was a lot of the philosophy this season. Now, would you want to see more creativity? Would you want to see better production? Yeah, I don't think there's any coach in the NFL who would tell you they're always striving for the most possible points. But I also think that you need to be realistic in realizing who your opponent is and what you're working with. And I think more often than not, they may have made sacrifices in that department to just say, hey, it doesn't have to be pretty, but let's do everything in our power to walk away with a W. Well, let's understand something, Lance, okay? Conservative is probably not the right word. I think prudent is probably the better word because that implies that there was a determination and a strategy based on logic to go the way they decided to go. And when you're the Giants and you go into the season knowing that your defense has been overhauled, you have a new defensive coordinator who's running a complex scheme, you know you're facing a bunch of high-powered offenses during the course of the season, well, what is the most prudent thing to do? In all likelihood, and then, of course, when you lose your star running back in week number two, the best-case scenario for you at that point is to design game plans almost week in and week out that's going to give you a chance to win games by scoring 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 points. If the Giants had had their way, they would have been very happy winning games all season long, 20-17 to and making the playoffs, and finishing 31st in offensive point production. Don't you think? 
I don't think they would have had any complaints. Once again, you don't get brownie points for how you win. It's just whether or not you get the job done. That's it, period. And nobody is defending the Giants' offense and saying that we should put it into the Hall of Fame because they had an unbelievable season. It's just that sometimes they had to win ugly. And that's basically what their philosophy was. I'm just looking at the lowest scoring offenses this past season, just to get an idea of comparison. So the, and this is not a surprise, Washington was the lowest scoring team that made the playoffs. And I don't think, once again, that is a stunning development. They finished with just below 21 points per game, okay? And they won a down year in the NFC East. The Rams, believe it or not, they only averaged just over 23 points per game. And they made the playoffs. So you had two teams in the bottom half of the NFL that wound up making the postseason. Once again, rare occurrence. We're not telling you that an army of teams that were hovering around 23 to 20 points a game made the playoffs, but what was the Rams' philosophy this season? The Rams' philosophy this season was our defense is going to be a big part of identity, and we're going to utilize that facet to help keep us in games. Maybe they'll score a little. They'll be opportunistic. Washington had a very similar philosophy. Our defense is going to do the heavy lifting. Our quarterback's going to protect the football, and we're going to win sometimes ugly. So it can work in today's NFL. Nobody says you got to go out and win 30 points per game. Are you walking a fine line, Paul? Is it a tight rope? Yes, it is, because you're eventually going to walk into a game or two where your defense doesn't meet those expectations, and you give up 27 maybe 30 points, and then you're going to turn to your offense, and there's no way your offense is going to be able to manufacture that. But if you do have a strong defense and an offense that protects the football, that can still position you to win games. And I think the Giants, you know, once Daniel Jones overcame some of those ball security issues, got to a point where they realized, hey, this is the blueprint. How do we maximize that for this stretch of games? And we saw that during the course of their winning streak. I have no problem with anything you said, Lance. Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by the New York Lottery, the new X-Series of scratch-offs for the New York Lottery. Multiply your winnings up to 100 times. Please play responsibly. A reminder, don't miss out on your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giants games and world-class concerts in 2021 as a Giants suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available. Or place a deposit for individual games. You could call 888-NYG-1925. That's 888-NYG-1925. Or you could visit Giants.com slash suites for more information. Let's head back to the Lions, 973-667-1960. Lance Meadow, Paul Dottino with you here on the latest edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Scott is in New Mexico. What's happening, Scott? Hi, guys. How are you doing today? Hi, doing, Scott. Uh, you both made really excellent points. Uh, but I'm going to discuss something that uh, I don't think too many people are talking about. We all know the weaknesses of the Giants, what they have to get, uh, the kinds of positions that they have to fulfill, so I'm not really going to rehash that. But one thing uh, in, the, in the discussion that you were having that I thought has some relevance, uh, I'm sort of leaning towards Paul. I don't think uh, you know the league uh, overall uh, has put his best foot forward in regards to the number of injuries that happen. And I think there's a direct correlation by not having a preseason. And I guess that will be determined later on, you know, after the season's over. But one thing that does uh, strike me as uh, something that the Giants have to be aware of, I don't know if either of you are aware, uh, on the Saturday and Sunday games, according to Sportico, the, the viewership 
of those games was down 25% on Saturday. Yeah, and Scott, I mentioned that Sunday. the other day on the show oh, last week and also on my Twitter. It was surprising to me that those numbers took a drop. Right. The league overall was down only 7%, but mm-hmm. you know, both of you know, that this league is based on advertising dollars. And the Giants, uh, being one of those franchise teams that people look towards because of the, the, the vast market that they have, where do they really go from here? Knowing that the cap, I think, according to you, Lance, will be around $175 million, if I remember. Yeah, it could go up to 180 based on reports, but anywhere between 175 and 180 I think, is a fair right. estimate. And if you sign somebody like Williams, for example, that's going to cost you at least, I'm guessing, between 17 and $19 million. I may be wrong on that figure, but I think it will be close to that if they re-sign him. Uh, the Giants are not going to have a lot of disposable income, uh, and they do need wide receivers. I think uh, in 2018, uh, uh, Saquon Barkley was your leading receiver, and in 2019, he was your second leading receiver. So normally they do need some help in that area. But overall, in a marketplace where viewership is down and you have to sort of generate excitement, where do you think the Giants need to go? Because they do have holes to fill at cornerback, at wide receiver, probably on the offensive line as well, maybe another back. But what's the direction they're going to have to take as a franchise to get back to to where they really want to be because this next season I think is going to be defined again uh, by what's happening uh, medically with the COVID scenario and also with the political discourse. Those all enter into, you know, the TV ratings, and that's where people make their money. They make their money on TV ratings. So the Giants are an important cog in that wheel. And so I was curious to get your perspective of how the Giants are going to handle the offseason and where they're really going to be able to put their money so that it's going to do the most good and bring them to a certain amount of prominence. And I'll be glad to take your answers off of here, guys. Thanks again. All right, Scott. Appreciate the phone call. Before you chime in there, Paul, one thing that I would like to know for clarification, because I did not look at those numbers, when we talk about TV ratings, just out of curiosity, because, you know, technology has drastically changed. The way people consume sports, there's a lot of people that, you know, don't have conventional TV services anymore, and they get everything they watch through online. I'm just wondering, these ratings that are being thrown around, are they accounting for the activity online, or is this just conventional, somebody turns on their television at home the old school way? The reason I'm throwing that out is because context with those numbers is important. Sometimes I don't think it keeps up with the changing way that people consume football and other TV programs, I should say. No, the numbers as I understand it, and he was quoting them from a story that I had seen as well, were across the board, Lance, and and it wasn't good. Yeah, the NFL's overall watching numbers were down 7% for the regular season, and for the wild card weekend, which of course we know was a a back-to-back triple-header fiesta. I mean, I look, I loved it. I'm not going to lie to you. I absolutely loved it. Uh, it, it did not go well. Uh, let me see here. I have it up here. Let me just mention it to you. So I know you said you didn't get a chance to see it. Um, 7% overall during the regular season, the decline, 22%, uh, a decline over the wild card. Uh, let's see here. It also said that, uh, overall broadcast TV usage. Okay. was down 15%, uh, which takes out the internet and the streaming okay. and well, all see, of that. Okay, that's important. That's okay. not that's not terrific. Okay, that's you know you don't like to see the numbers go down like that. You know it's not good. Um, 
Let's see. The only thing that really went well was the, uh, you know, was the uh, uh, the the one, the one thing where they had the. Um, uh, it's at Seattle and Philly, averaged uh, 35.1 million viewers uh, that that uh, that first weekend, which was which was a pretty good number. But other than that, no, it it it, it the wild card weekend was not a blockbuster. And that's, you know, that's disappointing, I think, for everybody. To well, be nobody wants to see the numbers go down. No dispute there. But I guess what I'm wondering is I just would like a more detailed synopsis of how they come across these numbers. Because, for example, Paul, people didn't go out to bars, okay, throughout the course of this season. People didn't get together in groups or go to, you know, other areas where maybe they would congregate to watch. Now, I understand you would argue, well, if you have 50 people watching one television, then how's that going to impact the numbers? But my point is the way people consumed the season was very different than previous years, and I just wonder whether that was a contributing factor to these numbers as opposed to people just being turned off by football. And I don't think we could jump to conclusions based on just this one sole season alone. That's my main point. The funny part was, and I know it's obviously a non-scientific poll that I did on Twitter, but, you know, I had 83% plus in my poll when I asked people, are they in favor of the super wild card triple headers? And over 83% said yes, and they want to keep the system with the, the, the two triple headers and having one team getting the bye on wild card weekend. And I thought it was going to be that way. The numbers came out exactly as I expected because as a diehard football junkie who just loves the NFL, I'm like, let's bring it on, baby. The more the merrier. I mean, wall-to-wall football on Saturday and on Sunday, you get your triple headers like you do during the regular season, your 1 o'clock game, your 4 o'clock, 4.30 game, and then your, your 8 o'clock game. Come on, who, who could want anything more? Um, and, and the fans on my poll were like, yeah, let's go for it. But the numbers nationwide just didn't do it. And, you know, the league, the league needs to figure out why that was. Was it because of the matchups? Was it because uh, it was overkill? Was it because of some other reason? I, I just don't know, Lance, but I was disappointed and surprised at the way those numbers came in. And maybe, maybe when they sit down and talk about this over on Park Avenue, they'll figure out that there were some legitimate reasons for it and it's nothing to worry about, and they'll keep moving forward with the super wild card triple headers. At least I hope so. Well, and I would probably lean at this point to the latter more so than the former of what you said because I don't think the NFL is going to overreact after maybe you know one season which was unconventional by definition in terms of impacting the numbers. Now, as far as the last call or in terms of the Giants' perspective, this is my personal opinion, Paul. Joe Judge is not getting consumed by ratings. I could tell you that, okay? So if you think he's going to go back to Dave Gettleman this offseason, he's going to say, we got to put on a dog and pony show on the field or else we're in trouble, that's not happening. So I really don't think as far as roster structure, how they divvy up cap space, how they make their decisions in terms of who they bring back is going to be based on the entertainment value of the team. It's all going to be based on how they can put together a team that's going to go out and win games, period. If it's ugly, so be it. If it's pretty, fantastic. But something tells me that they're not losing sleep, Joe Judge, from his lens, <laughs> over ratings and how the Giants should doll up their roster in order to get more eyeballs on the television. 
Totally, totally agree with that, Lance. The one thing we do know, though, is that Commissioner Goodell and the rest of the folks in the hierarchy of the NFL love to create rules that will help the offense because they know that points equals ratings. That we do know. They have been adjusting the rules, and you can ask any of the players who played in the 80s and 90s, and they will tell you, oh, my God, the defensive guys, they will be crying their hearts out saying, this is ridiculous on how they have taken the teeth out of defenses with the rules over the last 20 years because they want to initiate offense so they can get more eyeballs to increase the ratings, to increase the revenues. That's just that's just a fact. I mean, there's no getting around that. But do the coaches really care? No, the coaches don't care. But the but the people upstairs, they they want the NFL hierarchy wants more points and more ratings. That's a fact. Well, and that's going to be something that the competition committee, of course, is going to have to take into consideration. You know, each and every year the competition committee meets and probably it's going to be virtual again, and they'll determine whether or not they need to make any tweaks to rules to accommodate what you're talking about. But you ask most coaches, they're still of the philosophy, we need to have a respectable defense if we want to win football games. And just out of curiosity, because you got me thinking, I'm bringing up the defensive ranking, scoring defense, because I think that's the best indication. And we've got two of the top 10 scoring defenses that made it to conference championship weekend. And actually, two of them were in the NFC. Tampa Bay and Green Bay are going up against one another. And based on scoring defense this season, both mm-hmm. teams finished in the top 10. So it just goes to show you, yeah, both of those teams can put up points, and there's no doubt about it, based on what Brady and company and Aaron Rodgers and company, but you still need that other layer in order to make sure you get a deep run. Now, Buffalo and Kansas City, they're both outside of the top 10. Both of those teams actually finished right smack in the middle of the NFL rankings. And both offenses, of course, it goes without saying, were extremely respectable, but still, we're not talking about anybody that finished 20 or lower in scoring defense. So regardless of the rules, you still need ugly ways to win football, I guess is my point. Well, let's put it this way. Your highest scoring defenses every year are going to be the teams that have the most numbers of takeaways and turnovers. That's how you score, right? You return picks, you return fumbles. That's how you do it. And what do you always say, Lance? You can't count on those because more often than not, those things are the results of luck. You can never bank on it, 100%. I always say that. Never come into a weekend saying, oh, today we're going to get two takeaways because it. we got it last week. Yeah. So that that's not something you can really plan for. You know, that just kind of happens. There's no doubt about it. Giants fans get a New York Giants checking account from Investors Bank with a Giants-branded debit card. Security features and discounts at the Giants online shop. You can earn up to $250 when you open an account at InvestorsBank.com slash Giants member FDIC. And the New York Giants at Quest Diagnostics want our fans to come back stronger than ever. Now you can order your own lab test through Quest Direct to get the health answers you need most. Lance Meadow, Paul Dottino with you here on Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, focusing on some offseason developments in terms of how the structure of the offseason is going to go about its business in 2021, as well as the season overall and how teams did a great job in navigating the landscape. In terms of other NFL news, and we teased this earlier in the program, 
program, but I think it's important that we at least note it here, is the fact that Phillip Rivers is hanging up the jersey after 17 seasons in the NFL, 15 of which he was a starter. Remember his first two seasons he played behind Drew Brees in San Diego and then took over in 2006. He's always going to be connected to the Giants, Paul, because he was drafted by the New York Giants and then quickly traded to the Chargers for Eli Manning in that blockbuster deal. I always also put Rivers and Manning together because of durability. And I tweeted this out earlier, and I'll continue to emphasize it. The fact that the Giants, the Chargers, and the Colts for at least one season, Paul, never had to overly concern themselves with having a backup quarterback go into a game over the span of from 2004 to the current day is remarkable. Durability is a statistic which most people don't keep track of. It's overlooked. It's taken for granted. And no matter what the numbers showcase for both of these quarterbacks, I think when it's all said and done, they deserve a lot of credit for being as close to a guarantee as you're going to find in the NFL. It's a big deal. It's a very big deal. Ask every NFL coach. I mean, they will tell you that is one of their top priorities, if not their number one priority. You've got to be available for me. I need to know that I can count on you. And I will say this, you know, for whatever you want to say about the comparison of the three, Big Ben, Rivers, and Eli coming out of that 2004 draft, the truth of the matter is— Wait, you don't want to put J.P. Losman into the conversation? I'm a little disappointed, but go ahead, yes. (laughs) The truth of the matter is both Eli and Phillip Rivers were incredibly durable. Big Ben, not so much. He, you know, he's had very few seasons where he played all 16. So, you know, in terms of that particular part of the checklist, you'd have to rank him a far third uh, between those three guys. However, when you look at the, obviously, the championships uh, and the clutch performances, you're going to look at Eli and Ben. Each have two Super Bowl rings, and Phillip Rivers has none. When you look at regular season totals and just overall, you know, throwing the ball downfield and being a fantasy football quarterback, uh, Phillip Rivers is certainly going to have uh, his share of supporters, and, and Eli won't because, uh, you know, Rivers had more spectacular numbers in certain seasons. No question about that. Look, all three guys are going to go to the Hall of Fame. There's no oh, doubt in my doubt. mind. All yeah. three are going to go. So, you know, really – you're just taking different pieces of the filet mignon on, on your plate, and, and you're like, okay, that piece is that way, and that piece is that way, and that piece is that way. They're all filet mignon. They're all going to the hole. So does it really matter how we split hairs on any of these guys? No. But I do think that Rivers and Manning deserve a tremendous amount of credit for playing as long as they did and being as available as they did, and that's one knock. If you want to put a little bit of a wart on Big Ben's resume, it would be that there were times he just, despite being as tough as nails, he just could not get on the field. Well, I'll never question Big Ben's toughness. You can't. You can't. I mean, there's no evidence to bring that to the forefront, but I'm interestingly tallying up the totals, and he played all 16 games four times during the course of his 17-year career thus far. And that's a very low number. However, with that being said, Paul, and I'd have to go back and look at why he finished with 15. Something tells me more often than not, it was because maybe they rested their starters, which you know the Steelers have a tendency to do. He wound up playing all 15 games 
assuming that those were 15 meaningful games, I guess is one way to put it, one, two, three, four, five, six other times. So six 15-game seasons, four 16-game seasons, 10 of his 17, you could classify perhaps, and once again, I have to look more carefully at the Mm 15-game seasons in which he completed a year. So once again, that's still on the much lower side compared to Phillip Rivers and Eli Manning, but... 10 out of 17 where he's gone into 15, given his injury history, I would say that's not too bad. No, no, please don't don't misinterpret. I would never question Big Ben's toughness. The fact of the matter is, though, when you look at the durability factor, Rivers and Manning both went through their entire lengthy careers out of the same draft and never missed a game because of injury. And I don't think it's talked about enough. That's why I'm going to continue to bring it up, and that's why I'm going to put always those two quarterbacks in a separate category when talking about other quarterbacks either from their same time period or different time periods because durability matters. You know, the old phrase, you're not going to make the team in the tub. Mm-hmm. Well, also the best trait you could argue for any player, forget just quarterback, is availability. Phillip Rivers and Eli Manning were always available to play. And that's something that not many teams have the luxury of saying with respect to their quarterback in the NFL. And I think Phillip deserves the same treatment as Eli Manning now that we're able to reflect and look back at his career. I think it's also an opportunity to put things in perspective. We may be bidding goodbye to two quarterbacks from that era because in all likelihood, Drew Brees may be hanging it up too, Paul. And remember, Drew Brees and Phillip Rivers were together in 04 and 05 when Rivers was backing up Breeze. So, I mean, it, it's kind of sad because, you know, we've seen these quarterbacks for so many years. We're talking about well over a decade, and to lose two of them in one season, once again, is just another indication, another era of football coming to a halt. Well, when you look at that Hall of Fame ballot in 2026, okay, Eli's going to be available uh, as a first ballot Hall of Famer in 2025. And quite frankly, the competition in his class is not very strong which uh, will just enhance his opportunity to get in as a first ballot. But you look at the first ballot in 2026, and already you're going to have to start scratching your head, and you say, well, you're going to have to figure that Breeze and Rivers are going to have very strong chances of making it in right then and there. And, you know, who knows how many other guys are going to retire during this offseason and will join them as first ballot potentials. But I'll give you a good example. I I do look at this because I'm – a stickler on guys who deserve to get in and guys who don't deserve to get in. I was just looking the other day at uh, the potential uh, of Eli's class, and I know I'm getting off topic just a tad here, but in 2025, there are only two other high-profile guys who would merit first ballot Hall of Fame consideration the year that Eli is up in 2025. Luke Keekley and Antonio Gates. And that's it. Not now, Yanda, the offensive lineman from the Ravens, I think you could make an argument for him to get in, but he's not a first ballot guy. He's going to have to wait a long time because there are so many offensive linemen uh, who have waited and eventually gotten in who have had, you know, eight to ten Pro Bowls on their resume. So Yanda is not a high-profile guy. He may get in at some point, but he's certainly not going to get in first ballot. First ballot in two, 2025 Keekley, Gates, and Eli Manning are three guys who are not just head and shoulders above the rest. They are literally galaxies above the rest of the guys who are on the ballot that year. 
and that will certainly enhance Eli's chances of making it on, on the first-time ballot. Remember, with the Hall of Fame, you just don't know who the leftovers are going to be from some of the previous years. Right. Well, the Not leftover... to say that that should hold off from a guy getting on the first right. ballot, but still, that does play a role. Well, because your of the percentages. most prolific quarterbacks who could be left over on the ballot from the year or two earlier will be Tony Romo, Andrew Luck, and Carson Palmer. And believe me, Eli blows all three of those guys away by not only a galaxy, but multiple galaxies. So I don't think Eli should have any trouble of making it in in 2025. Well, let's hope we get closer to actually having a regular ceremony by then. I think that would be the most optimistic outlook in terms of what we've dealt with over the last two years. And their plans are, by the way, in 2021 to have the 2020 class, remember, join forces with this year's class and have a very big ceremony in Canton, Ohio. Fingers crossed, though, that that actually does come to fruition based on whatever the country looks like at that point come the summer. But Philip Rivers, Drew Brees, Eli Manning all could very well be in the same conversation trying to get into the Hall of Fame within that same ballpark. And that would be a heck of a class. If Eli doesn't get in in 2025 and it gets carried over and joining forces with those two others, that's going to be probably the most memorable class that we can tell from a quarterback standpoint. In terms of three guys like that going in all at once. Well, Man, I don't know what if you happens if Ben Paul. retires? Lance, you could have four. True. I'd be surprised if Ben retires, though, this year. Something tells me he's coming back, and I think he wouldn't be eligible to uh, make it in 2026. Mm -hmm. So that would mean that the three of them would have to all be pushed back to 2027, and something tells me (laughs) one of them at least is going to get in before then to not accommodate Big Ben. But you're right. Listen, it's possible. Tomorrow he could wake up and say, you know what, I don't want to play anymore. I I feel of all these guys that has – you know, heard the whispers or has been on the fence, something tells me Big Ben is going to find a way to come back. Plus, even if he does retire, it doesn't really give the Steelers that much financial wiggle room. So that's more of a reason why if he comes back, it actually just fills what would have been a huge money directed towards the quarterback position anyway. So they might as well have him to play as opposed to not have him on the roster and pay him anyway. So if he comes back for one more year and Brady does another year, then Ben and Tom will both be on the same first-time ballot. (laughs) So if you're planning accordingly for X amount of years down the road, you can start to pencil in uh, which quarterbacks could perhaps uh, be in the Hall of Fame class. But it's uh, it's a heck of a group of guys that are are slowly calling it a career because, you know, Rivers, the other thing with respect to him that I'll always remember, he was a heck of a trash talker. That guy did not shy away from getting down and dirty with some of those yeah. defensive players. You know what, Lance? And this is why I tell people all the time, and I was a Big Ben guy going into that draft. I've said it many, many times over the years. I thought Big Ben was the best quarterback coming out that season. And if the Giants were going to take one, and I wanted to stick with Kerry Collins, but if they were going to take one, I thought Big Ben was the guy to take. But as it turned out, Based on the personalities of all three of those quarterbacks, they all went to the right place. I truly believe that had any of those three guys been switched around to one of the other cities, they would not have been as successful as they turned out to be. And I, I, I stand by that 150%. It was best for Rivers with his thin skin and his trash talking and the kind of attitude that he had a lot of times. He was better out there in San Diego 
where there was not the kind of pressure and the kind of media spotlight and the kind of rough and tough blue-collar mentality you have in Pittsburgh and New York. I truly believe that Eli and his calm demeanor and his flatline emotions were tailor-made for Tom Coughlin and the Giants. And I also believe that the tough-as-nails, Big Ben Roethlisberger, physical, nasty, get-down-and-dirty, perfect guy for a blue-collar city like Pittsburgh. I can't imagine that those three guys would have been their equals had they gone to other cities. Well, I would have liked to have seen Phillip Rivers in Pittsburgh. I would have liked to have seen him with a better offensive line and a better defense for the majority of his career. So I actually think that would have been a good marriage. Plus, you know, Rivers with his personality, I think he would have fit in. Pittsburgh, tough-minded town. I think that blue-collar philosophy would have melded very well with Phillip Rivers. And Big Ben, considering his structure, maybe more built to deal with some of the offensive line issues with the Chargers. I think if you flip-flop both of them, it would have been fascinating to see that play out. But once again, that's a hypothetical for another day. And that is going to wrap up the latest edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We appreciate everybody for tuning in. We'll be back up and running once again on Thursday with a new edition at noon Eastern. And a reminder that Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by the New York Lottery. Get out there and play. And as a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network brought to you by Investors Bank on the Giants mobile app. Podcast platforms everywhere and at Giants.com slash podcast. Paul, always a blast going back and forth. We'll do it again later this week. You got it, Lance. So thanks again for everybody for tuning in. Back up and running again tomorrow for Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. For all the latest, stay locked to Giants.com. For Paul Dettino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. We'll speak to you tomorrow. Have a good one.